Mount's in the middle. And what a finish that is. Mason Mount. That is extraordinary from Fikayo Tamori. Loses Callum Hunt to the door. And there it is. His first goal. For Chelsea, the teenager, a moment he will remember. Hello and welcome back to the Chelsea Sport Podcast. I'm Orlando. I'm going to be your host for today. I'm joined by Pari. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing all right, mate. Fat Lampard's boys turning up, so I'm happy. Yeah, that's right. In the, in the Porto game, two, two of Frank, well, one of Frank Lampard's signings, one of his, well, his son, uh, scoring a brilliant goal that we'll, we'll talk about. Um, and to aid our analysis of that game, um, we are once again, well, for the first time in a while, actually joined by the wonderful Danny New. How are you doing, mate? Great to have you back on. Oh, I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for the kind words as well. Great to be back on. No, it's good to have you. Um, so, yeah, 2-0 against Porto. Good result for Chelsea, having bounced back from that 5-2 shock defeat against West Brom. Um well, where to start? I think we mentioned it already, but that goal from Mason Mount is the clear talking point of the game. The game was a little bit uneventful aside from that. I'm not sure if... I think a 2-0 scoreline is a little bit uh, kind to Chelsea in terms of their performance relative to Porto's performance. Um, but Danny, talk us through that goal. It was a thing of beauty, wasn't it? Just the match intelligence that man has at 22 is actually insane. So in the process, he's become the youngest ever knockout phase Champions League scorer for Chelsea, something like 22 and 89 days. That's pretty uh, precise for you. Uh, but the way he just he swivel, his head's on a pivot, he's just always looking. He knows that he's got space behind. J5 is my favourite register, number one in the world for me. <laughs> uh, plays it in, beautiful. In fact, it's just that ball, just that ball. That's what made the goal. But no, uh, Mason takes it on his weaker left leg, turns around. You think, oh, get a bit closer to the goal, take a couple of touches. First time, hits it, bottom corner. Just phenomenal. And I love how everyone's coming around to the fact that Mason Mount is a baller. Like I get United fans messaging me saying like, to be fair, I thought Mason Mount wasn't much good last season, which is absurd because he was excellent last season. But I'm coming around to the fact he's a baller, and that's five goals in 14 games under Thomas Tuchel now. He's got rid of uh, the Lampard sun tag. He's going to the Euros, and he's going to bring it home for us. What a player, and what a goal. Yeah, absolutely. I think, for me, on a personal level, there's very few things greater than seeing every Chelsea, well, in fact, every football fan sort of as you say, come together in in a in a knowledge that Mason Mount is a baller because he got so many critics, you know, and you know, as someone who's been watching him since since before he went out on loan, um, since he was in the academy, it's very, I guess, vindicating to see that um, to see him, you know, play so well at the top level. Um, but the other goal, which we mentioned, also one of Frank Lampard's boys, didn't come through the academy, but. Um, He's been a good player for Chelsea in, in his first season, I think it's fair to say. It's a great finish from Ben Chilwell, wasn't it, Path? Yeah, it really was. I mean, 50 million signing went round the keeper in 2012. I mean, we, we've seen it again. Um, <laughs> but no, it was a really nice goal. They, I think they said afterwards, the amount of composure which you need, like, that's sort of a goal you would expect, I don't know, Eden Hazard to score when he's through on goal when he goes round the keeper. But it's a left-back who doesn't get to do that sort of stuff in training. And he's just... 
absolutely you think he's going to like toe poke in it's going to hit the post or something like that no um he goes around the keeper and he scores and it was actually a really important goal because like Atletico Madrid when you score one goal away it's sort of useless because they're going to have to score anyway uh to get back into the tie so to make it the second goal and we now got a really a really good lead um I'm quite confident coming into the next leg as well with Silva and Kante returning so yeah it was a really important goal and I'm really happy for him yeah, absolutely. Um, but as I touched on briefly before, it was the most convincing performance uh, from Chelsea. Porto had quite a few chances, namely from set pieces. Um, I thought Edouard Mendy was fantastic in goal. Um, but, you know, if you want to take into account team performance as a whole, you know, you don't want to be relying on your goalkeeper to, to bail you out. So do you think Chelsea deserved that 2-0 uh, scoreline, Danny? Um. Oh. I think we're a bit fortunate, weren't we? Uh, one of our good mates and uh, XG fanatic Dan Barber, uh, Barker, sorry, <laughs> would probably be, probably be on their on their phone texting me saying, "Oh, it was 1.68 to 1.7." Like they were so even, and I think we probably got away with one there. Uh, he loves his XG and he loves Jorginho as well. But um, yeah, we're, we're fortunate. But the thing is, we took our chances. Like. Uh, we created virtually nothing in the, f- the first half. It's one shot, one on target. They had eight shots, two on target. So we were pegged back by them. And it's not something we're used to, like not dominating the ball. Uh, second half, we kind of grew into it a bit more. But something I'd like to bring attention to, which really annoyed me actually, was the constantly useless long balls were thrown forward so I've got here that Rudiger attempted 14 long balls and he only completed five of them as he tried 10 and completed four so it seemed like that was our tactic to get him behind but they were going out for throw-ins they were just easily cut out and it's quite frustrating to see that um, and Havertz and Werner were starved of service so we were lucky to come away 2-0 winners but I'm not going to complain because it's a Champions League. You need a bit of luck and uh, the defence kind of got us through in the end. Yeah, I agree. I think another thing to mention that I think people maybe forgot about um, in the direct aftermath of the match was that we got very, very lucky. Um, got gifted, basically, from from the match officials. Really should have been a penalty to Porto for um, the push on Musa Marega, I think it was from, from Cesar Azpilicueta. I, I don't really know how that wasn't given, to be honest, from a from an objective point of view. Um, it, it was a pretty clear push. Um, but yeah, I think we got lucky in that. Um, don't know, maybe would have, we would have you know gone for another goal um, in the latter stages of the match um, with, with more um, power if we had conceded. And if we could had, you know, conceded from that penalty, so it may not have changed the the margin of the scoreline. But you know, you never know how these things pan out. So I think to keep the clean sheet was pretty lucky. Um, you mentioned there, Danny, the the struggles of uh, Havertz and Werner. I completely agree with you that it wasn't totally their fault, but it is true that yet again, um, particularly Werner, not so much Havertz because he's he's had quite a few good performances recently and before the international break, but particularly Werner, um, he's just struggling to to make it click. Um, do you think that anything needs to be done about that? Because there's been a lot of discourse, you know, you could argue that um, he just needs a few games on the bench to kind of sort his head out, get his confidence back, get his head back in the game. But 
I'm not sure whether I agree with this, um, but the other side of the argument is that he, you know, he's clearly getting into the goal scoring positions. You can see that through his expected goals tallies. You can see that through um, just, you know, watching the game and seeing the, the chances that he misses. Obviously, there is five years worth of evidence of his career in the past that he's he's not a terrible finisher. Well, particularly not to that extent. And he will start scoring these chances at some point. So you could argue that he just needs to keep on playing, keep on getting the minutes and, and then the goals will come. But do you think it's all about the goals? Is it his his performances as well that are letting him down? Well, the thing is, he is probably one of our chief creators. Uh, I think I might be wrong here. I think he's got about seven assists in the league, which might even be our, our best. And he's won about five or six penalties. So he clearly brings something else to the game. And just that electric pace, to have that on the left flank is, is priceless, really. But you do have to question what what he's doing leading the line. He didn't uh, against Porto, but he did on, on the weekend against West Brom. And you have to wonder what Tammy Abraham has to do for a start, or my hero, the godlike Olivier Giroud, what he has to do. Because uh, he's, he's just not good enough as a, a sole nine. And he's really, really struggling in front of goal. Uh, like you say, I, I am a believer in XG. I do think he'll come round. Um, and the, the promising thing is he finds himself in uh, good shooting positions. But I definitely think if Tuchel's picking the squad based on merit, like he says he is, uh, and isn't pressured by the board to get his big money signings in, that Werner has to drop to the bench, uh, especially when we're fighting for our lives for that fourth spot and in the FA Cup and in the Champions League. Uh, yeah, I think I agree um, on, on the fact that he does bring more apart from the, you know, getting into goal-scoring positions. But I would also just kind of bring the point to light that if he's doing that from the left wing, imagine what a, you know, a chiefly creative player like Callum Hudson-Odoi could do from there. You know, he's never really been a kind of out-and-out goal-scorer. You know, if you look at Werner and you look at Hudson-Odoi, you have one player who is a goal-scorer and one player who is a creator. Obviously, they do other things. But that's what they their kind of main source of output is. Um, and yeah, I just, I understand that Werner, you know, he was bought for big money. Callum Hudson-Odoi wasn't, but it's just so frustrating. Um, particularly like Hudson-Odoi, he's been, I think he's had one, one start as a right wing back in the cup against Sheffield United and two sub appearances, like 10 minutes since he completely ripped Everton to shreds. And he was, you know, it was one of our best performances from any attacking player this whole season. Um, and he was subbed off early in that game, somewhat inexplicably. You know, um, me ever sort of optimistic, I kind of said, oh no, that just shows how important he is to the team. Tuchel saving him for potentially 120 minutes against Atletico Madrid the next week. I don't think he even came on. So, you know, it's like, it it really doesn't make any sense. And, you know, he's not been asked about him in his press conferences. He hasn't voluntarily spoken about him. And he's just, he's been one of our best players under Tuchel. It's really clear. Um, and I, I don't understand it. Um, and I know I'm biased. So it may come across as I'm just saying, yeah, these academy lads, they're not playing enough. And the Germans are rubbish. I don't, I don't think that at all. 
Um, and it may be true that some sort of bias comes into my argument, but for Hudson-Odoi not to be playing, and as you say, Tammy Abraham, to just, it seems like he's the only player who Tuchel doesn't kind of voluntarily praise in his press conferences. You know, he lords Kepa for, you know, I don't know, having a good mentality. He praises Emerson for working hard in training. He praises all these fringe players who don't really do anything and are actually not very good, to be frank. And then about Tammy Abraham, he just says, um, you know, he he's had a rough time. He's not had the impact we wish and demand from him. You know, he lost the connection. All these kind of words, they don't really mean anything. You know, it's Tuchel's fault. He's only played about two or three times. I know he had an injury, but there's been so many other times where he's just been left out of the squad when he was able, able to, you know, to even start the game. He, he was match fit. Um, so, as you say, Danny, I don't think it makes sense that, particularly in a game against a team like West Brom, playing Werner as the nine was really, it didn't make sense to me at all. Um, but do you think there's a chance now for him to come back in path or do you think it may be a bit of a lost cause going by Tuchel's comments? Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it doesn't look great. His comments today in the press conference before um, before the game tomorrow against Palace weren't that convincing. He said, yeah, of course, he can get an opportunity and come back in the team, which of course every manager is going to say, but he still emphasised on the fact that he still has barriers in front and that it's not an easy run in. And I, I guess we've got, I think we've got the FA Cup next week against Man City and he's previously said Tammy's a cup striker, which is a bit weird anyway. But I think hopefully we can see him start then and then hopefully he can impress. But I mean, it's not easy coming in your first game back after like a month or two against Man City uh, in an FA Cup semi-final. So, I don't know. He has to get more opportunities. Do I think he will? Not too sure. I think he prefers Giroud. I think he prefers Kai. I think, I mean, he clearly prefers Timo, despite him previously saying that he doesn't see him as a lone striker in the Premier League. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a mess. Him, Hudson-Odoi makes no sense. I think, I'll, going back to what you said about Hudson-Odoi, the thing which annoys me the most is right now, Timo is playing as an out-and-out winger because Havertz isn't playing as a false nine. He's playing as a striker. People are getting that confused. And yeah. Timo's playing as a winger, and that's where he's pretty average. When he's a when he's closer to the striker, when, when it's like Tammy, uh, that's when he excels so much. But at the moment, he's he's a normal winger, and that's where he's pretty useless in comparison to Callum Hudson-Odoi or even Christian Pulisic, who... Yeah, he got a goal against weekend. He, he looked okay against Porto with a few touches. Uh, by the way, Pulisic got more touches in his 25 minutes than Werner's in the 65. Um, <sighs> so that's not a great start. I, I, I guess Mason struggled as well with touches, so did Kai, but I mean, that sums it up, really. Um, but yeah, it's a bit... It's it's disappointing, the treatment of them too, but hopefully they can get back on Tuchel's good side. Yeah, I agree. I think... It's just frustrating. I, you know, I did a rant on this last week in the hope that Tuchel. No, I'm joking. Not in the hope that Tuchel was listening. <laughs> but no, it just, it's just the same thing again, isn't it? It's really frustrating. Um, and you know, now we're hearing lots of talk in the media about all these different clubs interested in Tammy in the summer, and it really does seem like a, a bit of a slippery slope from here on in. Um, and 
the thing is, I know that he will score 15-plus goals wherever he goes, as long as he plays regularly. So it's like if he leaves when he's not getting minutes, I'm not really going to be that disappointed. I'll be super pissed off at the club. But for Tammy, I guess I'll just be happy. And, you know, it's another club to, to try and watch, fit into my watching schedule every week. But um, the other thing... Um, that I wanted to say about Tuchel's press conference is not just how he sort of wasn't super um, praising of Tammy. It's also how he was very kind of defensive of of Timo Werner and Kai Havertz. And, you know, he's saying um, he subbed them off, but we will not, we will not lose faith and trust. We accept sometimes it's hard to have a big impact. You know, this is the complete sort of inverse of what he's saying about Tammy. You know, he's saying, oh, we subbed him off um, at halftime for tactical reasons and therefore he has had a rush time, a rough time. And it's like, therefore, well, if you look at actions, he just dropped him from the squad. So <laughs> it's kind of, you know, like double standards, isn't it, Danny? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, actually, I'm sure Thomas Tuchel is a subscriber to the Chelsea Spot podcast because his number one fan, Dan Barker, is one of the, is always singing his praises. So he's definitely subscribed. But uh, yeah, I find it baffling that what he's come out with about Tammy. Uh, fair enough, I win it like most games. But the, the big problem is we're not scoring. Uh, so yeah. defending playing a striker who doesn't score just doesn't cut it, does it? So. I find that baffling. And also something I don't like is how uh, Tommy T comes out uh, after the game and says on a few occasions, oh, Tommy wasn't out of the squad because he was injured, which managers would happily fake an injury if it kept the fans off their back. He said, oh, I just didn't think he was an option. And then put Emerson and Alonso on the bench, like two left backs. I find that that is really damning like if you can't get in the squad ahead of Emerson and Alonso um, I, I find that incredible especially when we can't score for love nor money like most of most of the time so uh, I love Timo Werner but I love Tommy Moore and I think he definitely needs his chance but for me his chance was last week against West Brom when he had two weeks training with Thomas Tuchel and it, it didn't come so I'm not optimistic I'm afraid we haven't even talked about Billy Gilmore, uh, his exclusion in the squad against Porto. I mean, we had one midfielder on the bench. He didn't even travel, exactly. We had one midfielder on the bench who was half fit. And then you have uh, Jorginho and Kovacic starting. Like, when is he going to get it? And this is an extended was bench. awful against West Brom. He was exactly. so bad. And what, 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 message, yeah, what mm. message does that put to the rest of the squad? Okay, I mean... I think you tweeted it, but there's such a clear hierarchy in the club that, okay, you can play badly. Oh, I'm still going to put you in for next game. He doesn't even make the bench. Like, that is actually disgusting. And I, I don't think he'll start against Man City because he clearly doesn't trust him that much. Um, so I, don't, I, I can't see him starting a game for the rest of the season. It's just like, you talk about the hierarchy. And, you know, I don't think I would have had too many issues with Jorginho starting against Porto, despite that that terrible performance against West Brom, if, you know, Billy had been, you know, in contention, if it had been tight, if he had travelled, he had, you know, trained with the squad the day before, whatever they do, if, you know, Tuchel had, you know, they had been competing for the place. He didn't even get on the plane. Like, 
this is what I mean about a hierarchy. It's like there's Billy doesn't even have a chance. If he has a chance and he doesn't get it because Jorginho is more experienced, it's a big Champions League quarterfinal, whatever. Fine, you know that that makes sense. I understand Tuchel's thinking, but for him to not even you know be in with any sort of a chance, it's just like what do you want him to do? And you know it's kind of like asking for him to to go on loan next season. Um, which is, you know, obviously you want him around. You, we've, we've seen over a year ago he can perform at the top level against Liverpool and Everton, you know, within within the space of three days. And it's just, it, it's so frustrating. But anyway, rant over. Let's, let's move on to previewing uh, tomorrow's game against Crystal Palace. Um, the first thing that I wanted to discuss, um, of course, Palace, you know, under Hodgson, they will playing a low block particularly against a team like Chelsea but they whenever they do it's always a, well regardless of what sort of game plan they play it's always a 4-4-2 with those two big physical strikers against our back three and I think stop stop me if I'm wrong Danny but I think that's the first time our back three under Tuchel has come up against against the front two so I wondered whether whether you think that could be a bit of a challenge for them yeah for sure I don't know if you'd count Rickarlison and DCL as a front two for Everton. I think, yeah, I can't, I but think they played, if, I can't remember. Yeah, even if they are, then it's nothing like playing these these boys. Uh, especially if Venteke is on absolute fire. What's that, like four goals this season? That man is prolific. That's more than like <laughs> the last three seasons combined. Uh, we saw what they could do against us. Do you remember that 3-2 game after the restart? When, yeah. Uh, Zuma saved us with that slide tackle at the end, which the cameras missed. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm I'm never confident going into a game, especially after last weekend showing. Um, and you always have your concerns about Christensen coming up against a big uh, centre-forward uh, like Ben Teke. I thought he was whether... decent against Morega, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really like Christensen, even though I wrote an article a few months ago about how he's done at Chelsea. But um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a test. Um, but we should be beating Palace, and we? They, when I think of Palace, I think of a squad entirely com- uh, comprised of central defenders over the age of 30, and then Zahar and Eze up, up top. But yeah, um, each match brings uh, new difficulties, but I'm sure... I'm sure Tuchel will find a way of scraping a one nil win. Yeah, yeah. I think the the main difficulty, although they, you know, we talk about the the front two, but also as you say, Zaha, whether he'll be part of the front two out wide, I'm not sure. But Ebere Eze is a player I'm a massive fan of. I think he's really, actually really, really underrated. I know lots of people like him and they think he's a good player, particularly because how funny he is to watch. You know, very creative, lo- lots of dribbling, but. I think he is someone who perhaps people think, don't rate him as highly because they think, you know, due to his volume of dribbling, he gives the ball away too much or, or that sort of thing. But I think he's, yeah, he's good. He's going to be a top, top player in the future. I think he needs to play in a team who, you know, attack for 90 minutes rather than sit back for 70 minutes and then attack for 20 minutes like Palace usually do. But yeah, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. But yeah, Eberi, as they keep an eye out for him, I, I really love him. But... I don't think he'll end up being that effective against Chelsea, you know, with the three defenders and, and four across the middle. He'll find it hard to, to create. Um, but so will Chelsea. 
against Crystal Palace's deep block, um, particularly if Werner plays. You know, we we said earlier how we all of us did not understand Werner playing as a, a lone striker against the low block of of West Brom. Surely this is a game to, to bench him in, right, Danny? Yeah, you'd you'd hope so. And like I keep saying, if Tuchel's going to say it's a meritocracy decision, like uh, he can't can't play. Um, the only the only question is, who would he turn to? Would it be Oli Giroud or would it be Tammy Abraham? I'd imagine it. Or would it be Kai Havertz as a nine and uh, bringing Ziyech in in that left hand slot? He's got a lot of lot of options available to him, uh, and I think we need to see a different one. Uh, I can't be bothered watching Timo miss like five one on ones against Gaeta, but. Uh, Obviously, if he plays, I support him, no matter what. Uh, but yeah, definitely try, time to try something new, um, and hopefully Gary Cahill can do us a favour uh, and let us score like he did last time. Except this time, not pulling a hamstring in the process. <laughs> yeah. yeah, agent, agent Gary. Hopefully, um, but yeah, for me, the one player that has to be in. Um, you know, I'd love to say it would be Tammy Abraham, but I just don't think that's going to happen in the light of Tuchel's comments. Um, Callum Azurdoy has to play. Whether that's, you know, if it's a right wing back, I won't be mad. For me, you know, at this stage of his career, I don't really care. Obviously, him playing in attack would be better, and he is better in attack. But at this stage of his career, he just needs regular minutes to, to further his development. It's, it's stagnated a little bit with the sort of uh, stop-start game time. You know, he thought he was flying under Tuchel. And as I say, he's just out of being torpedoed from the squad for no reason. Um, well, no apparent reason anyway. Um, so, yeah, for me, he has to start. I don't mind if it's a right wing back. Um, although it, you you think it would be harsh to leave Rhys James out after his quite good performance against Porto. And, and I think you get the feeling that Tuchel really likes Rhys James. He's He's had a lot more minutes recently over the last few weeks than he did at the start of Tuchel's reign. Um, so, yeah, I think Callum in attack would be lovely. Um, I think, yeah, as you say, Danny Havertz is likely to start. And then the last the last place may be filled by one of Pulisic or Ziyech. I think, to be honest, in the light of Tuchel's comments, comments again, he was asked um, about Pulisic, I think, in the last question of the press conference, that he, he you know, he was talking... He was praising him. He said he had he had a big impact against West Brom, and it was just clouded by the fact that he had to go off at half time, and by the fact that the uh, Chelsea lost the game, um, which I don't really agree with, um, because his goal was incredibly fortuitous, um, and he didn't really do that much else. Um, but you know, if Tuchel feels that way, then I think it's quite likely that he might start again um, if, if he's if he's fit um, fit to start. Um, but then, of course, Mason Mount was subbed off uh, early-ish against Porto, so you would expect him to start, and as he should, as, as Chelsea's, you know, widely recognised now as, as one of, one of Chelsea's best players. Um, so that that's the front three. The one I'd like to see is Hudson Doy Havertz Mount. Um, to be honest, I'm a sort of resigned to at least one of Werner Pulisic and and Ziyech playing, which is not ideal, but you know that that's the way it is. The midfield too is is interesting. Um, we mentioned Billy Gilmore. I think there's a very low chance of him playing, but I'd love to see that, of course. Um, 
do you think this is a, a game where we need to rush N'Golo Kante back? Because I would be inclined to say, although I dislike the Jovicic pivot so much, I'd be inclined to say that it would be wise to just give Kante another game off the bench just so we don't rush him back because we've seen how how um, coming back early from, from injuries can can impact him. I think that happened multiple times on the Lampard. So, so we've got to be careful with him now. Do you agree, Path? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the thought of Ezzy and Saha against Jorginho is not encouraging. But I True. think if you, yeah, if you sub on Kante in the last twenty minutes, get and try and get him fit to start against Porto because we're two 0 up in that, and that's a big game. Um, so yeah, has been a question to be rested because he did try Christiansen at right centre back, didn't he, in the last few minutes, and he pushed Asby to right wing back. Um, so I was going to suggest that, but Thiago Silva is out due to his red card. So it probably just will be Christensen, Rudiger, Asby. And it's, it's, it'll be good to get Christensen um, some minutes because he deserved it after the Porto game. I thought he did very well and he probably will start against Porto again. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be an interesting lineup. I think Hudson-Odoi will be at wing back. Unfortunately, we'll see Marcus Alonso return um, and a front three of Mason, Giroud and Pulisic. I really would not play Giroud against against a team like I, this. I, I feel like I wouldn't, oh, but on, I, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't, but I'm thinking in the next few games, I can't see him being involved, and it's one of those where okay. he sort of has to play minutes. But yeah, yeah. No, I, I do understand that. I mean, Danny, do you think um, Giroud... I mean... I hate to say it, but it really does feel like Giroud does is a bit of a statue nowadays. I'm sorry to say this when you're on the podcast, <laughs> but you know he was so revered back in his day um, for having great link-up play. You know, being really good at holding the ball up, but uh, you know these days it really just feels like he kind of loses the ball with his first touch often, um, and he gives it away, and you know he. He's never really running into the channels. And, you know, that's never something he's been great at because of his size. That's fair enough. But the things that you'd expect him to be good at and the things that he was good at, it, it seems to me that he is quite rapidly declining. No, this is slander. It still is his day, <laughs> beautiful as ever. He was actually involved. Uh, he held the ball up and laid it off well for that. Do you remember that Pulisic shot where it hit the ball? Hit the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a, mm. he, he did well in that. But oh, oh, it's so hard when you... When you're only getting thrown on for 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, you get one start every blue moon. Um, I just, I remember the Giroud of post-restart. I remember the Giroud that scored four against Sevilla, that bicycle kick against Madrid. Uh, what I would say is against Palace, they've got two six-foot-plus centre-backs, uh, very physical. Having Giroud play uh, could could be beneficial if he, if he if his touch is as good as it has been in the past and he can take one of the centre backs out of position and let leave space for one of our very rapid front two and behind him to run onto that that could work i just want it, i just want him to, to score as many goals as possible before he leaves this summer so he can get a statue outside Stamford Bridge or at least a statue outside my house <laughs> He deserves it. <laughs> well, you heard it there from, from Oli Giroud's biggest fan. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think about Kai Havertz's path? Because, 
you mentioned earlier how when he's played as a nine, lots of people have been saying it's a false nine and it hasn't really been, which I, I definitely agree with. Um, he played there against Everton before the international break. He was excellent. He then played there against Leeds and wasn't so great. He, he struggled to affect the game, but then again, no Chelsea player was great that day. It was a, a bit of a drab nil-nil. Um, do you think he's best suited to, to make an impact for, for Chelsea as a nine, because he was also excellent against Atletico Madrid in the second leg as a left-sided uh, number 10, left-sided forward. Um, so, you know, obviously he can play in the variety of positions and it may be that sort of versatility that leads to his success at Chelsea. But do you think for this particular game, where's he best suited? That's interesting. I, I was just thinking right now, just going through the games, that I think his best games have come when Mason hasn't played. And I don't know if there's a correlation between that or not, but maybe because they're similar players in the sense that they've both got an eye for goal um, and they both do have similar movements. Um, if you think about Everton, I don't think Mason started that one. Atletico Madrid, second leg, uh, and then Leeds, he started, and Porto, he started. They both started, sorry, and, they stru- and he struggled. Um, so, yeah, maybe there's a correlation between that, but I, I think I think his versatility definitely gives Tuchel a really... Good option. Uh, I saw Matt Law wrote an article saying that he his he, the false nine experiment sort of hasn't worked, which I sort of disagree with. I think I think well, false nine first of all, the, the nine uh, experiment hasn't worked, which I disagree with because I think he has shown promising signs there. Uh, and then he also said that he should be on the bench, which I do agree with in in the light of Tammy being given an opportunity uh, up front. But yeah, I guess I guess he he can play front three against Palace tomorrow. I wouldn't mind seeing him on the right if it meant that Mason was on the left and then either Oli or Tammy through the middle. Um, I don't. I, I'm not sure if tomorrow as a nine is going to be best for him because of how physical their centre backs are, um, and it, it could be similar to Porto in the sense that he doesn't get many touches of the ball. But I think I think he, I I have a lot more trust in him than I do in, for example, Timo. Um, but. I, I think yeah, he's twenty one. We can we can let him off. He's going to be inconsistent, but I, I've I've no doubt that he's going to be a top player in many positions. What do you guys think about perhaps playing Mason Mount in central midfield uh, to allow for another player in that front three, and also you know against a low block to to bring a bit more creativity? Because I think before his um, sort of emergence under Tuchel as an attacker and playing so well as an attacker, I think a lot of people would have said that that. Um, in in the pivot in this three four three, would have been his best position, but he's been so good as that sort of wide number ten receiving the ball between the lines. I think it, well, first of all, it's just incredible how many different roles he's able to play and also kind of switch between them so seamlessly. Um, but Danny, do you think playing him in in centre mid could that be a bit of a risk defensively or? particularly if Kante doesn't start or um, what what are your thoughts on on that proposition? Well, I can see it happening. There's been uh, talk about him and Declan being like a a midfield pivot in a 4-2-3-1 for England at the Euros when we're playing against weaker opposition because he's so diligent in his defensive work that you can almost make up uh, sacrificing, say, Jordan Henderson for him. And he adds creativity. Um, he was playing, as you said, really well from centre mid against Frank Lampard. And that was one of the reasons why his goals and assists uh, tally isn't as high as maybe it could be, because he was sitting deeper and pulling the strings. 
I personally absolutely love him and uh, as like a set, uh, part of two tens behind a, a striker, but um, I think it's definitely option open to Tuchel. Um, but will he explore it? I don't know. He seems pretty set in his way of thinking for this season. He's always playing the back three, same formation, unless we're chasing the game against Barnsley uh, when he changed formation about four times. But <laughs> otherwise, I think he's quite set. But you never know. Uh, he makes constant changes of, to his personnel. Uh, but I think Mason will probably still be on the right in like a, a number 10 position. Yeah, okay, I agree. Um, lastly, let's do some predictions then. Um, Danny, I'm not just going to ask you for a scoreline, I'm going to ask you for maybe some, some narrative predictions or, or the goal scorers. Tell me what you think is going to happen. Whoa, that's a tough question. Chelsea never scored two, more than two in a game under two call. Uh, so I'll go for 2-0. Uh, scorers to be, ooh, that's a tough one. Mason Mount uh, and an overhead kick from Olivier Giroud, uh, but just like a perfect one, like one you'll see on Premier League years, just constantly. Um, uh, and I think a narrative we will definitely see is Dan Barker complaining about the performance, uh, and uh, <laughs> being upset that. Cal played at right wing back and Tammy didn't even make the bench. <laughs> uh, well, we will right. be upset about that, to be honest. But yeah, a good win. Uh, put the pressure on West Ham in that race for top four. Something I'm going to say um, is a Marcus Alonso free kick because we saw him hit the post against West Brom um, just preceding um, Pulisic's goal. And I think, <laughs> particularly seeing as we haven't been playing that well on the Tuchel last sort of week or so if the display isn't amazing again then that's you know another good way to like get lucky and win another game without playing brilliantly and I feel I feel like that's that's quite likely to happen um so yeah I'm gonna say I'm also gonna I'm also gonna say 2-0 um I'm gonna say a Marcus Alonso free kick and I'm gonna say a a goal from a set, another set piece. Like, oh, I think we haven't scored from a header from a corner mm. since Tuchel joined. I think the only goal we've scored from a corner was Werner against Newcastle, which was mm-hmm. in itself quite quite fortuitous. So I am going to say, I got, you know what? I'm going to say Andreas Christensen to score his first goal for Chelsea, which it would be a great <laughs> bit. It's crazy that he hasn't scored. First goal? Yeah, yeah well, I remember he, he missed oh, loads he missed the of the bar cities. like 10 times yeah. outside crazy. one yard out. Yeah. Under Conte, he missed loads of chances. And yeah. I think it's just, uh, you know, being unlucky, really, because I think he's scored about three or four <laughs> times for Gladbach in a much shorter space of time. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say two set-piece goals, one scored directly from Max Alonso and, and one, um, you know, converted uh, by Christensen. Over to you, Path. I'm going to go for 2-1, make it different. I think we'll concede without Silva. Um, I think Zaha will get a goal in the last 10 minutes to get us on our seats and, I don't know, just start panicking and thinking about the worst. But before that, we'll get a goal from uh, Christian Pulisic. I think he's going to bag one. And then he'll probably start against Porto and then we'll probably lose the game. Uh, and (laughs) And then I think as well, 
Let's go with a Jorginho penalty. I think we'll get a penalty. Oh, good shout. Very good shout. Yeah. I love a Jorginho goal. I love a Jorginho <laughs> Anyway, right, I think that's going to wrap it up. Um, we've all predicted relatively uneventful games, um, as seems to be the theme under Swivel. Hate it or love it, we are getting the results. You know, that's the way it is. I'm, I'm hoping for a bit of a, a switch from it being um, so sort of... Well, I'm reticent to say boring because that's a bit damning and it's not, it's not quite that, but that is the way it seems at times. Um, you know, we're hoping for a bit more excitement next season. I think it's it's fine to have this sort of um, sort of slightly languid style of play um, in a short term solution during during the pandemic and and with Tuchel having come in mid season. But you know, we might we might find ourselves in a Champions League semi final before long. So cannot complain at all. Um, and yeah, we'll you'll be sure to to hear from us on on the podcast. Then after the, the different games we play in between. Um, so with that, I would say thank you very much, Mr. Danny, for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. No, it was our pleasure and Parth as well. Thanks, mate. Thank you. I've just got one thing to quickly go through before we end the podcast. Um, we, we, we agreed, uh, well, me... Danny and Mash quickly, well, very quickly. So if if Chelsea win the Champions League, we will rename the podcast to Jorginho Spot for a month. Um, and we will praise him in every episode for a week. And Dan has also agreed, if Jorginho captains us to a Champions League final and we win, he will wear a full Jorginho Chelsea kit and do a video on the Chelsea spot where he says, my regista at least 10 times. So this is an episode for you to remember and come back to when we win. Um, up the girls. <laughs> All right, I'm looking forward to that. That would be hilarious, actually. Um, <laughs> imagine Jorginho lifting the Champions League trophy oh my goodness me anyway <laughs> you couldn't lift it well <laughs> <laughs> too happy <Yeah. laughs> oh, that's so true well we, I guess we'll have to hope and pray that that, that day comes and that Aspi Aspi is fit <laughs> maybe maybe he can do a John Terry and just even if he doesn't play come up in his in his full kit and just lift the trophy himself just to prevent us from from having to suffer Jorginho lifting the Champions League trophy anyway I think we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves <laughs> got to get got to get to the final first but you know let's hope so and, and with that we're going to wrap up the pod thank you very much for listening um, do make sure to check us out on our social media platforms at the Chelsea Spot on Twitter and Instagram and the Chelsea Spot com for our website some great articles on there thank you very much for listening and we will catch you later